Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Good deal. If you'll turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24, the last chapter of 2 Samuel, I want to share a couple of things with you before we get into the message today. My wife and I had the opportunity to get away for a full week just to go rest. Um, we've been really just running full throttle for some time, and we had the opportunity to run down to San Antonio and park the car, and it didn't move for like four or five days. We just let it stay there, and we walked the river walk and enjoyed just watching people and sleeping in, naps, and a lot of good food. And it's funny how every time we go somewhere, like I run into somebody I know, uh, we're waiting in line at a restaurant, and I see another gentleman from Canyon, like, what are you doing here? And here for a conference. I'm like, wow. You know, so it was just neat to get away and enjoy ourselves and rest. And then we got to come back through Dallas and see our daughter and her husband, <coughs> Sarah and Tyler, um, as they're there. And my grand doggy, um, Jules. And I think Jules was more excited to see us than they were. But it was really good to get away, um, and I, don't, I just told the first service, you know, those athletic trainers that are trying to work on speed, endurance, and stuff, they, a lot of times they'll get the treadmill going, and it's going like full throttle, and they're standing on the side of it, and there's that point where they have to just kind of do a few kicks, and then they jump on, and they're going. That's what it felt like when I came home Friday. Back on the treadmill, full throttle, let's go. So glad to be back. It's great to be uh, able to take that opportunity to get away with my wife. Uh, but I did want to take the opportunity to say thank you. Like two Sunday nights ago, the church threw a celebration for Rachel and I for 20 years of ministry here at Living Water. Uh, been able to serve as a pastor here for 20 years. Just a huge deal. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't expect a whole lot. I didn't really want the party, to be honest with you. Um, I think it's cool to celebrate for our community. But for me, I was like, man, I'd be cool if we just, hey, say something and it's all there. We drove down the road two Sunday nights ago and I started tearing up. Um, I think they were supposed to have it over at the well, and I was expecting 50, 60 people, and I was told there were 250 people here a couple Sunday nights ago, just tables everywhere, food everywhere, great food, fellowship, love, and man, I was dehydrated from all the tears that were shed um, Sunday night. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, church. We are blessed, blessed uh, to be a part of such a wonderful, wonderful church, and uh, hopefully you feel the same way. God's good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, we are in a series called Crucible. And the, the idea of the series is these are the choices that change your life forever. We're looking at the life of David. We have been looking at the life of David for some time. Some of the stories that we've shared have been the exciting stories, the David and Goliath or the David and Bathsheba. Um, and today's story, I'm just going to be honest, it's not one of the real exciting ones. Um, but it's important to note there's one specific verse in there that I believe David reveals to us or he models for us what might be a virtue of the kingdom. And I'll be honest to tell you, this is not one of those sermons that we come to church wanting to hear. It's one of those we need to hear and be reminded of from time to time. And so the title of the message today is Entitlement Versus Sacrifice. And if you've been following along, we've been looking at the crucible moments in David's life and how they revealed certain character flaws or good parts of his character um, throughout his story. Um, we know that he made some mistakes. And I've said before, when David was good, could there be anyone better? But when David was bad, could there be anyone worse? Um, David is a great story, great character to follow, and we've been looking at this idea of God using crucible moments in our lives to grow us in our faith. Here's the deal. God loves you right where you're at, but he refuses to leave you there. God is in the process of growing us all in our faith. It's the word called sanctification. And the moment you place your faith in Christ, God says, hey, I got a job I want to perform in you, and he's more committed to it than you are. Um, and here's what we know is God uses everything. Romans tells us God causes all things 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. One of the ways that he does this is through the crucible moments. I brought this crucible we've been using throughout this time. And the idea is as a refiner would sit in front of a crucible and he would put some material in this and he would crank the heat up so hot, uh, the crucible can handle the heat, but those things that are inside it begin to melt. They begin to separate and the valuable is able to be separated from the non-valuable and so the the trash or the, the dross begins to float to the top. And a good refiner is going to take the opportunity to skim that junk off the top because he's trying to purify whatever it is he's working with. The same thing is true of God. God is looking at us like a refiner of silver, and he allows us to go through pain and crucible moments in life. And the idea is as the heat is turned up, some of the character flaws that are in us that we may not see on the surface, they begin to show up and they begin to float to the top. And there's a choice that can be made in our lives. We can say, God, I want to learn and grow from this. And it's like skimming the junk off the top and being done with it once and for all. Or we can ignore the opportunity and let those character flaws just kind of settle back down into our character. But please understand this. God is in the business of growing us in our faith. And the vehicle that he uses many times are the crucible moments. Amen? Have you ever felt some pain in life, some hardships in life? God has a tendency of using those. Um, crucible has also been known um, as a severe test. Um, it's also a place or a situation in which concentrated forces interact to cause or influence change or development. And so that's the idea of the Crucible series. Uh, and in those crucible moments, there's these choices that we make that can change our lives forever. As I said, God's plan is for us to grow in our faith. And hopefully we've learned throughout the past few weeks um, of some of the crucible moments of David um, and so today is towards the end of David's reign as king, and it's in chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. Um, and David is up in age. He's passed all the really cool things that we like to read about, but this is a significant story. Because in it, we're going to see an area where David kind of, he messed up, and God gives him the option, hey, choose the discipline that you will have um, as my discipline to you. And then we see this sacrifice that's offered, and there's this one verse that I want to use as the springboard to kind of for us to meditate or think on for the rest of uh, the time together. I would say the world we live in today and the culture we live in today that we would value or we would consider a virtue uh, being entitled. And I don't think it's right, but I just the world we live in. Everybody's entitled to something, right? You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be compensated if you were wrong. You deserve, and just fill in the blank. That's the culture that we live in. And I would say that that's a virtue of our culture, but we know that as followers of Christ, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen? And so the culture of the kingdom of heaven or a virtue of the kingdom of heaven would not be entitlement, but sacrifice. And we see this in a crucible moment in David's life um, as he has a choice to make and he chooses sacrifice over entitlement. So um, let's, let's pray one more time, please, for my benefit and uh, for us that God would open our eyes. Father, we come before you. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, we don't have it all figured out, but Lord, we know you do. We know you're in control. And God, as I was preparing for this today, I just see how you've been working on the background with just a little confirmation here and there and reminders that we need to hear this today. So God, let us not dismiss what you might want to share in our hearts today. Let me as the speaker, though it's not polished, Lord, let not be my words that, that are coming forth, but your words. Because your words have power. And you said your word will go out and it'll accomplish what you sent it to do. So Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, that we may receive the truth from your word today. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So chapter 24, 2 Samuel, David, later in life, um, he does this census. Now, the United States have been doing censuses for several years. I think we've done our 23rd, like every 10 years we do one. We just did one in 2020, an opportunity to see how many people are on the earth so they can tax us, right? Um, Censuses were common in Scripture as well. There were times when God told um, leaders to take account of all of the people, uh, but there also was this rule that when a census was taken, uh, that there was a sacrifice that needed to be made as well. Um, And the idea is there were children of Israel, and so God was their provider, their protector. And some scholars believe the reason that David did this was because there was like a pending war or, or something that was looming around the corner, and he wanted to get a count of how many fighting soldiers that he had. And so let's just look at it. It says, once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. Now, time out. There's a parallel passage in 1 Chronicles Chapter 21 that says David incited, or excuse me, Satan incited David to take a census. So the question is, did God do it or did Satan do it? And I would say, yes, both. God in his sovereignty says that he was, had anger against Israel, and so he caused or he allowed Satan to tempt David to kind of take the bait and do this census. And though together, God and Satan tempting David allowed this census to be taken. Go count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. So it says, uh, so he goes to the king, Joab, and says, take a census, go all around and, and find out how many people we got. Verse 3, but Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? He's like, man, why do you want to do this? This is a big thing. We only do censuses for taxes and if we're preparing for battle. Why do you want to do this? Verse 4 says, But the king insisted that they take the census, so Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. And they began, north and south, east and west, counting all the people in all of Israel. Verse 8 says, Having gone through the entire land for nine months and 20 days, they returned to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of people to the king. There were 800,000 capable warriors in Israel who could handle a sword and 500,000 in Judah. Verse 10, but after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. Now, some said that he was taking the census because there was the possibility of a war around the corner. And the idea is God is the provider. God is the protector. And maybe the sin was in the fact that David was counting on the strength of his army to protect him from these potential enemies rather than trusting in and relying on God for protection. I don't know exactly what the sin in this case was, but we know that his conscience... um, provoked him to repent. It says, he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. So verse 11 says, the next morning the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and asked him, will you choose three years of famine throughout your land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. Verse 14, David says, I am in a desperate situation. This is a crucible moment for David. I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. Some say that he was choosing the latter option because to to say I want three years of famine would mean the children of Israel would rely on these other countries around to provide them with food during the famine. 
to, to, to choose the second option, three years or uh, three months of war uh, from the enemies, they would be at the mercy of the enemies. And David's thought was, I'd rather be in the hands of God, who's a merciful God, so let us fall into his hands. Don't let me fall into human hands. So he chooses. Well, some say he didn't choose. Some say he did. But it says, verse 15, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. So I'm inclined to think David chose the third option. So David, it says, the Lord sent a plague or pestilence, pestilence upon Israel that morning, and it lasted for three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. We have a crisis in our land, right? We have this very big crisis um, in, in our country in this crucible moment. It says, but as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop, that is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aranya, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I'm the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. There's a couple things there I want to just highlight that are really neat as you study this. Um, when the angel came to the threshing floor of Arana, um, geographically speaking, that is the Mount Moriah, the same place where Abraham took his son Isaac to sacrifice. And it's in that moment when Abraham lifted his sword or whatever it was to kill Isaac that the angel of the Lord stopped him. Here it is, same place, different time, the angel of the Lord to stop at that moment, the angel of the Lord stopped at the threshing floor of Aranya, the Jebusite. Verse 17, it says, When David saw the, the angel, he said, Hey, I'm the one that sinned. Why allow the sheep to be punished? They're innocent. Let your anger fall against me and my family. In typology, you know, David is a type of Christ, and David, the shepherd boy who watched and took care of the sheep, we know that Christ, the ultimate shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. Why should the sheep? Be punished. Let it fall on him. Aren't you glad that our sins fell on the shoulders of Jesus on Calvary? So that's interesting. Verse 18, it says, That day Gad came to David and said to him, Go now, build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranya the Jebusite. So David went up to, to do what the Lord had commanded him. Now when Aranya saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my king, or my lord the king, Aranya asked, David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. I mean, we're in a crisis. I've come to buy your land. We need to do a sacrifice so the death angel will stop. Listen to the response of Aranya, verse 22. Take it, my Lord, the king. I mean, you can have it. And use it as you wish, Aranya said to David. Here are even some oxen for your burnt offering. And you can use the threshing floor boards and the ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, King David, your majesty. And may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. This is the crucible moment where a choice is made that reveals a character of David. And I believe models for us what is a virtue of God's kingdom. David replied, no. Can't take it as a gift. I can't do it. I, I'm the one that sinned, and it wouldn't be right for me to take this free gift. That's very generous of you, Aranya, to offer this, but I can't take it. I'm the one that's guilty of sinning. He says, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. It's like, I'm going to give a sacrifice, but I can't do a cheap one. I'm going to offer a sacrifice, but it's going to cost me something. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. First Chronicles says he gave even more money for the land around that. That's significant for later in history. Verse 25, David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land, and the plague on Israel was 
stopped. This moment in David's life, foolish decision to do a census. God says, all right, choose your punishment. The plague comes, 70,000 people die. And he says, all right, now you need to build an altar, offer a sacrifice so the plague will stop. And in this moment, there's a choice that could be made by King David. David was entitled as king, probably through eminent domain, to say, hey, we've got a national emergency on our hand. I need your land. I'm commandeering your land. You know, he could have done that. He was a king. He's entitled to it. But we see in this moment, in this crucible moment, the choice he made was not entitlement, but it was sacrifice. He says, I can't offer a sacrifice to the Lord that cost me nothing. David recognized this truth, and he modeled it, I believe, for us as well. Sacrifice is costly. If you're a parent and you've made sacrifices for family, you know that's true, right? Sacrifices can be costly. David's not the only one. Jesus spoke on it in great detail um, whenever the widow was offering her, her money, her offering, and says in Luke 21, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. And they're going, Jesus, I think your math is a little off, a little fuzzy. Obviously, they gave more. Jesus says, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Jesus points out her sacrificial giving. It's like this, a cheap gift can be given from a casual heart, but a costly gift always comes from devotion. A costly gift always comes from devotion. We see this in the story of the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus before his burial. She takes a perfume that's worth one year's wages. She breaks the top off of it, and she uses it all on Jesus. Her devotion uh, was shown in that she gave this very sacrificial gift. Jesus himself said that was his purpose. Hey, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He showed and modeled and said his whole purpose was to serve, not be served. He modeled it in the upper room, John chapter 13, as he washes the disciples' feet. And he tells them, hey, do likewise. This is Jesus, the one that, you know, healed the blind, parted the, you know, walked on the water and fed the 5,000. If anybody needs to have their feet washed, I would think the disciples would do it. But yet Jesus models that sacrificial service to his disciples in that moment. And then he says, hey, blessed will you be if you do these same, these same things. And so fast forward to Philippians chapter 2, when the apostle Paul tells us as followers of Christ, listen to this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Some people wrongly say he gave up his divine divinity or deity, and that is not true. Jesus was always God in the flesh. But he did give up his divine privileges by meaning he was in heaven with the Father, and he gave that up to come to this earth. What a beautiful picture of sacrifice that is. It says, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. Jesus was entitled to remain in heaven, but he chose to enter a hostile world. Aren't you glad that he did? Amen. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and um, before that, we always observe communion, just the remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. Why did he come to a hostile world? 
because there was something so important at stake. In David's story, there was a plague that they killed 70,000 people, and David had to respond quickly with a, a sacrifice on an altar in order to stop the plague. That same piece of real estate where Abraham offered Isaac and where David um, at the threshing floor where the angel stopped there, the same real estate, not the exact same location, but the same mount is the same place where Jesus, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world, would go out on the edge of town and be crucified for the sins of the people to stop a much deadlier plague. Amen? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so Jesus came and left the convenience of heaven. He, wasn't in, he was entitled to have it, but he gave it up for our sake. And that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so Paul tells us that should be the same attitude that each one of us have. As I said a moment ago, it's a message that we probably don't like to hear or even want to hear and probably don't even hear much because our culture says, hey, man, you're entitled to it. Man, go get it. If somebody wrongs you, you're entitled to, to make it right. You deserve a break today at McDonald's, I think was their slogan for years, right? Have it your way. I think it's Burger King. I mean, we're all entitled. But this virtue of the kingdom of heaven is like, it's not about entitlement. It's about sacrifice. David saw, showed us that. Jesus modeled it. And now for us, we're like, how does this work in our lives? Practically, shame. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. And can you imagine just how many animals had to die regularly, repeatedly, over and over and over again in the sacrificial system. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the one sacrifice that took away the need for any other sacrifices for the rest of eternity. How awesome is that? And so Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, and I want to consider this, I want to read the whole chapter and look at it and just think about sacrifice versus entitlement and how sacrifice costs us something. And in a practical sense, as we read and listen to what Paul says, how this might be a sacrificial offering, if you will, of our lives and what God's calling us to. So as I said, it can only be accomplished through his sacrifice. Jesus came. And that's what the Son of God shows, an attitude of service and sacrifice is a part of the very nature and central to his kingdom. And I'll say this before we read it. Entitlement is not a kingdom virtue, but pouring one's life out for God and others is. Amen? Amen. All right, so think about this. One sacrifice once for all time on the same hill, Christ dies to save us from our sins. And so Paul, in chapter 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. To give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Aren't you glad for all the things he's done for us? He says, because of all the things that he's done for you, I want you to give your bodies to God. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice. So here's the sacrifice, the way I live my body as a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This truly is the way to worship him. When we worship him, he says, hey, worship is so much more than music. It's a part of it, and we love worship and, and praise music, but it's a lifestyle. And he says, let your bodies be a, a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice that is pleasing to him. This truly is the way to worship him. Then he goes on to say, all right, here's, how, here's what it looks like. Don't copy the, the patterns and the behaviors of this world you live in, the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I would say the first sacrifice, if you will, um, in our living to please him would be letting him, allowing him to change us to mature us in our faith. But let me just say in a very practical sense, how many of you struggle sometimes to get out of bed and come to church on a Sunday morning? I'm the preacher, dude. That's a problem, right? 
How many struggle reading your Bible regularly? You're like, man, I have the desire to do it, but I just find all these other things that crowd my schedule, and I just don't have time for it. Or, hey, God calls you to do something specific for a person, and you're like, man, I just don't have time today. It's an inconvenience. Can't do it. Maybe tomorrow. I mean, I think we all understand the busy, the crazy, the overwhelming sense of just all the stuff we've got going on, and yet we're called to a life of sacrifice. And so just in the context of church, I mean, a sacrifice sometimes might be able to say, God, I'm hurting today. I don't feel like worshiping today. I don't feel like being in church today, but you're worth it. And so I'm going to give a sacrifice of praise today. I, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Remember that song? He's worthy, right? So I, I know I don't feel like it. I know that I feel like all the things that are going on around the world are just kind of dumping on me. But God, you are worth my time, and I'll make a sacrifice. And so I want you to completely transform me by the renewing of my mind. That I don't uh, adapt to the custom and the pattern of this world, but I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind where I will know your will. To know your word, to know your will, to be in amongst his people, right? Amen. Verse 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Listen to this. Don't. Think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. If we adopt an attitude of entitlement um, that's prideful and we start to think that we deserve something that somebody else might not deserve. And so Paul just simply says, hey, be humble in your approach with other people and your view of your own self. Humble yourselves and realize it's not about you. That's a message that some of us need to hear today, amen? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him, right? So he says, be Humble, that's another sacrifice that we make. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. We're not meant to go it alone. We are all belonging to each other. Now, in this context, he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you give the gift or you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Here I think there's a lot of sacrifice sometimes when it comes to this context of the church and sharing gifts that we all have Every person has abilities and special gifts and talents that God uh, intends for the church to work together for the benefit of each other. Amen? And so we're entitled. It's like, I just want to go to a church where I can just get what I want to get. And we don't understand that we're a part of giving in it too. A sacrifice of praise is when we say, God, I, I recognize that I belong to a body. And you've equipped me for a specific task. Let me understand my role and let me make that sacrifice. Lord, it's pleasing to you as I join the body of Christ and, and, and encourage one another, doing life together. Amen? Are you following me? Yes. So verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Sometimes that sacrifice of praise is just genuine love. Not just saying, hey, love you but genuinely showing it. Love is action, right? Showing love to one another. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Suffering for Jesus, you know, that's what some people's attitude is, but to serve him enthusiastically, God, I get to do what I do for your glory. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. There's a sacrifice for us, isn't it? And keep on praying. 
When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Here's a really big one. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, no. Come on, man. Come on, Paul. Really? Yeah, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? I mean, because the entitlement in me says, mm-mm, you deserve to get punched in the face today for what you've done to me, right? But he says, hey, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't return evil, or excuse me, evil for evil, but evil or good for evil. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's upside down from the world's way of thinking, isn't it? Bless those who curse you? Pray that God will bless them? No. But see, the virtue in the kingdom is sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice. God, this is hard for me to do, but I know you'll honor it, and I know it's the right thing to do, so God, I want to bless those who curse me. Be, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will repay them back, says the Lord. And said, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, Give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by good. All of this is in the context of, hey, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and a holy sacrifice. Every day in our lives, we have these choices we can make, these crucible moments, some excruciating crucible moments, some just choices, opportunities to be the hands and the feet of Christ, to say, you know what? I, I, we, we shop for a church like we shop for a car. I, I want a church that's got all the bells and the whistles that I want. And maybe a sacrifice in that case would be to say, I want to find one that's preaching the word of God, and I'm going to willing to overlook a few uh, blunders here and there, but I trust the people love God and they're teaching the word of God. How many know that's important? Not the color of the chairs, carpet, what type of music, how many songs we sing, how much we stand up, sit down, all those things that divide and destroy churches that's what happens when we're entitled but we live lives of sacrifice and so every day we have these opportunities to, cho- to choose between a spirit of entitlement I deserve I deserve I deserve but David Christ models for us Paul reminds us that a virtue in the kingdom of heaven is one of sacrifice and I just have to wonder how are we doing Whew. now let me I feel like I need to say this because I know how this works uh, first off a lot of preachers will use that passage to just really harp on money And it's in there, right? If you give, give generously, and they'll spend the whole time speaking on money, but it's so much bigger than that. But in that vein, I would say that, you know, statistically, the church is far from sacrificially giving, whether it's in finances or in talents or time or church attendance, all that, statistically low, right? So I think there's room for us to grow as a followers of Christ, amen? And so, like, to sacrificially give would be to say, hey, I have this money set aside for a special thing that I wanted to do, and a need came up in the body or somebody around that God's laying on my heart, and I'm kind of torn on what to do. A sacrifice in that moment to say, God, I'm going to honor you by giving to this need, and I'm going to say no to my own need. We're not used to saying that. We're not used to doing that as a people. But God blesses sacrifice. But as I said, it's not just about money. I think it's time, it's talent, it's our worship together. It can go the gamut, right? And especially when we're hurt especially when we're going through difficult times in life. It's like, God, I just don't, I'm not feeling it. Can I just remind you, because of all that he's done for us, he's worthy. Regardless if I'm tired, regardless if I'm hurt, regardless if I'm confused, lonely, scared, he, because of all that he's done for us, is worthy 
of us living our lives as a living sacrifice, something that's pleasing to him. I hope that in our crucible moments we will recognize that, you know, in that moment it's not really about us. God, what are you up to? What are you doing in this moment? Uh, what are you trying to, to grow in me or mature in me? And when I have a choice to make, let me not be like the culture around me to say, I deserve this. We do that, don't we? Look, it's not right. I agree. Been there, done that. I say, God, how can I honor you by just living a life of sacrifice? Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about others. If we live in this world but we're not a part of this world, let us live according to his standard and rule and not according to the culture around us. That's why he said, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. That's the pattern of the world. But how many of you know that we belong to a kingdom of heaven? It's so much greater, right? And his ways are upside down from our ways. And I believe that he'll honor us for our life sacrifice. I said a moment ago, I need to say this too. I know how sometimes people that are naturally servers and they feel like they're just giving, giving, serving, serving, like, and they're feeling convicted to do more. I think there's a balance there too. Speaking from someone in ministry who's done it all, right? Who the, nobody else is doing it. It's, it must be my job and just jump in there. You can burn yourself out. And it was never intended to be that way. We are the body. And I believe every member is a minister. Amen? So don't hear me saying like, oh, I'm already serving 15 times you know, a week. I need to do 16. That's not me. But I'm saying I think there's a lot of room for all of us to look at it and go, all right, God, what sacrifice are you calling me to today? As a living sacrifice for all that you've done for me. I'm so, so grateful for all that he's done for us through the gospel. Aren't you? Father, I thank you for Lord, the challenges that we find in Scripture. Lord, we look at the life of David and the, the crucible moments in his life and how he demonstrated great faith whenever everyone else was demonstrating fear. And Lord, how he demonstrated just relying on your truth rather than relying on the circumstances when he could have taken Saul out at an early time. Lord, in this moment, when he had the opportunity to just kind of take the easy, cheap way out and accept a gift that was freely given to him by Aranya, Lord, I thank you that he modeled for us what sacrifice looks like. And I know it's not, it goes counterculture to where we're at today. We don't, we don't like to think about it or talk about it because of the culture we're in. It's just backwards in our thinking. But, Lord, we know that you honor sacrifice. And, Lord, you said that's the way that we offer ourselves today to you is living sacrifice. The problem Someone said earlier, with the living sacrifices, it keeps crawling off the altar. And so, God, I pray that you would just give us a conviction today to say, God, I, here I am. I surrender myself to you. Lord, whatever, wherever, however, I'm yours for your glory. Lord, please forgive us for the times when we get caught up in what we want and what we expect and we miss the bigger picture and we miss opportunities, Lord, to be your hands and your feet to those around us. God, I pray that if there be anyone here today that is not in Lord, in a saving relationship with you, that today they would see the great, great gift that you've offered them in salvation. Lord, on that same hill, the sacrifice was made once for all sin, and that by believing in you, by trusting you, repenting their sins, they can have a relationship with you. God, thank you for that. I pray that if there be anyone here today that's not taking that step of faith, that today would be the day of salvation. But God, for the rest of us, let us not walk out just unchanged. Lord, we want to grow. We, we want to mature in our faith, and we know that if that's the way you do it through crucible moments, let us make the most of the opportunity in front of us. And as we have within us the ability to make choices every day, let us always be mindful of those choices that we choose to honor you because of all that you've done for us rather than honoring ourselves and feeling entitled. Lord, I, I humbly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.